Well, good morning, church family. It's good to see your smiling faces this morning. What a celebration it was this morning, doing communion together. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, that worship was Amen. just beautiful. Yeah, we have an amazing worship team, don't we? Absolutely, Absolutely. love it. <laughs> um, but welcome. We're glad you're here. Uh, we have a few announcements we want to share with you this morning. So sit back, hold on tight, right? And enjoy <laughs> these announcements brought to you by us. The first one, um, coming up real soon, tomorrow night, uh, fellas, it's our Band of Brothers monthly uh, guys dinner. Uh, we get to hang out. We get to eat good food. We get to hear um, some good teaching about what God has for us uh, as guys, as men of the Lord. And so it's just going to be a fantastic time. That's going to be here at 630, but we are shifting it to the new kids building, Ooh, the main sanctuary there, which is going to be awesome. We get to be yep. in your turf. That's um, right. So instead of going to the doors on the left when you walk in, you'll just go through those doors on the right. It's in there. Uh, it's going to be a ton of fun. We would love They're gonna to They're going to get blown away by that big out. screen. I'm telling big you. Big screen. So all the sports games that will just be happening, imagine. you can see on there. I don't know what sports games they'll be, but there'll be some, I'm sure. So we would love to invite you out to that. The next thing that's coming up next weekend or this weekend uh, is uh, Financial Peace University, our FPU workshop. That's February 2nd and 3rd. And uh, that's just if you are in a place where you're like, you know what, I could get a better hold on my finances, which I would argue most of us are probably in that place. Uh, financial Peace is a fantastic way to do that. You've probably no doubt heard uh, about uh, Dave Ramsey and, and the program that they do. It truly is a phenomenal foundation for us to build our finances off of in, in a way that honors God, right? So we would love to invite you to that. You can register and find all the info for that on our website. There's a card right there on the front page. And we do have childcare provided for that as well, so you won't have to worry about that. Yeah, there's actually quite a lot you can sign up for. If you go to our homepage, mrccnow.org, you can see uh, you sign up for Financial Peace. Uh, sign up for Women's Conference, which is coming up in March, March, and then also our KidsCon. It's coming up uh, not this next weekend, but the weekend after FPU, so you can get a little financial piece and then send your kids off to KidsCon. Uh, <laughs> it'll be beautiful. Uh, but it really is a great opportunity for kids, mostly designed for third to fifth grade. Um, we will be sleeping, staying the night right here at MRCC, doing kind of our own uh, evening activities. It'll be a blast for them. And then on Saturday morning, we actually go to another church where a number of churches have come together to create a really awesome event for kids. So I just encourage you to sign your kids up. And my real big plug is uh, if you have a kid that's younger, that's how we recruit you into kids ministries. So if you want to bring and come attend with your second grader, uh, you could be a leader. And that would be amazing. And we would absolutely love it if you wanted to join the team in that way. So that's awesome. Another thing that's coming up, actually, uh, our small groups are going to be kicking off pretty soon. Uh, over the last few weeks, you've seen Pastor Dave and his team out in the foyer. They've been signing up people to try and get you connected with a small group. It's beautiful to be a part of a church family, isn't it? Uh, it's also beautiful to be a part of a smaller group. And so we want to encourage you to be a part of that. Uh, and they are out there to add, just ask a question. I promise you they're not going to sign you up for anything until you're ready. So if you just have a few questions, join over there with them and chat with them in between services. Um, but we do have a group that's starting today. Uh, one of the groups we've been talking about is called Heritage. It's a, a lunch that we're going to do. Uh, it's for families that have kids uh, in any uh, either medical diagnosis or special need or IEP, 504, that kind of thing. Uh, those challenges, we want to be a group that can be a supportive and we just, we're going to have 
have lunch together today and just talk about what that looks like going forward. So it's going to be awesome. Absolutely. And if you want to know more about uh, us just as a church or what other events we have, like Pastor Allison mentioned, there's a ton of stuff that we're, we're constantly doing throughout the, the year. A great way to stay up to date on that is just to connect with us. You can scan that QR code on the seat back in front of you, punch in some info there, or fill out that card that's physically there in the seat back. And uh, if you have any prayer requests or you just want to get plugged in and know what's going on here at MRCC, that's a fantastic way to do so. We're not going to show up at your door with all sorts of crazy stuff. It's just a great way for you to be able to get plugged in and connected with us here. And uh, this morning, if you would, open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 10. Yeah. Thanks, Allison, and thanks, Brent, and again to all of us, good morning. It's great to see you, and it's kind of on my, everybody who's joining us online as well, great to see you, you're us, glad you tuned in. We don't do this very often, but you know, our, our ushers team runs around like one-armed paper hangers on Sunday morning to get enough chairs and stuff out to make room for everybody. Can we appreciate our ushers team this morning? Ted back there, he's no fun to look at, but he's a good servant, so uh, we're blessed by him. But uh, it's great to see you. Welcome. And, you know, God delights in this when people from all ages and all backgrounds come together to worship his son and to learn from him. That's a precious thing. And, and I know that we're all in one accord because I know that there is nobody sitting here today that wants the 49ers to go to the Super Bowl, right? <laughs> Raise your hand if, say amen if you're in agreement with that, right? It's called hate watching, and your pastor is telling you that God will bless it. So you hate away and watch away as long as it's not the 49ers. No, it's good to see you. Welcome. Grab your Bible, open it to Matthew chapter 10. And, and friends, together this morning, we're going to continue this kind of challenging journey that we started a few weeks ago. It's called Set Apart, being different on purpose. And, and you'll remember that right at the beginning, we heard Jesus say to us, hey, you know, gang, sometimes it is a great thing when you're rejected, when you're persecuted, when you're insulted, because sometimes it means you're standing up for the right things. It means you're doing things my way. Jesus said we should expect that sometimes and that we should know that we're blessed when we're kind of going the opposite direction of our culture in some things. And, and then he kind of flipped that, and he said, hey, watch out if that doesn't happen to you sometimes. His words, woe to you when all men speak well of you. Somebody should not be speaking well of you if you're living his way. And we've heard him already challenge us in two ways. He said, you know, followers of Jesus, we kind of go a different direction when it comes to sexual morality. What's okay, what's not, what's right, what's good, what's blessed. And, and then last week we heard the Lord teach us about, hey, there's, there's really only one way to heaven. There's one gospel. And now other religions may be more or less true, but there's really only one answer, and that's Jesus. And we talked about how important it is that we share that. This morning he wants to challenge us in that way. Uh, about something else, about something different and something incredibly important. So we're going to jump into that this morning. But just before we do that, we have one more special celebration this morning, and that is that today we are welcoming to our church publicly the last group of people who went through our membership class in the late fall. And so there's some names up here, and those folks are spread out across all three services. If you're one of those folks who has now become a member of MRCC, you've chosen to make public your commitment to your local church, 
I know it's the last thing you want to do, but would you stand up for just a moment so we can appreciate you, so that we can welcome? Would you just stand up? Yeah, whoever those folks are. Yeah, yeah. Amen. 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 Welcome. Yeah, we are thrilled. You know, it's a membership in church is a public I love you. And I always like to talk about it. I wear a wedding ring, and the ring doesn't make me married to my wife, but I want everybody to know I am. And so I wear a ring. And, you know, here in a few weeks, we'll be having the spring membership classes, and that'll be your opportunity to kind of explore that. So we'll, we'll talk about that later. But, yeah, this morning. So as we take the third step in this Set Apart series, let me ask you this. Have you ever had to make a choice between two things that you love dearly? right? I mean, everybody, I'm sure, probably has. You can think of a time when you had to make a choice between two things, both of which you love, but you can only have one. I experience this every time I go to the 7-Eleven close to my house, right? Because I can really only handle the Cheetos or the double barbecued chips, and that's a tough call to make, right, in the middle of your day. It's almost too much, you know, and um, my wife doesn't have any of those problems. She doesn't choose any of it, but it's, you have to make that tough choice. Sometimes we have to make a choice between two things we love. I remember when our son was small, and uh, we would have Wednesday night church, and, and we would come home. He would go to what was called Royal Rangers. We'd have Royal Rangers here on Sunday afternoons. But back then, it was Wednesday night, and, and when we came home, we would drive home separately. Rhonda was teaching the girls, and, and so we ended up just leaving at different times. And I would always, on the way home, take Isaiah, and we would stop by this market, and we would go inside, and he would get to pick anything from the candy rack, right? And you would think that a kid would have a favorite and they'd just go grab something and go. But my son was a little weirdo when he was that age, right? We'd go in there and he would like pick up one candy and he'd look it over and then he'd put it back. And then he'd go pick up another one and he'd check it out. I'm standing there the whole time tapping my feet. I'm going, it's all sugar, kid. Just grab something. But he would agonize over this decision. It became a joke, right? He would take like 10 minutes to pick a kind because he loved it all. And it was hard for him to pick just one thing. God wants to talk about that with us this morning. Because sometimes those choices become really intense. Like, for example, later when Isaiah was a teenager, if you're a parent of a teenager, you'll recognize this struggle that sometimes is part of that. You know, there would be times when, when his mom wanted things one way and he wanted things another and I would have to make a choice between the two of them, both of whom I love. And I realized really quickly that if I was going to teach my son well, if I was going to raise him and be a good dad to him, he had to see me always putting mom before him. He needed to see me making that choice. And I knew it was important because I knew that someday he was going to get married, probably, <laughs> He is now, miracle of miracles. But anyway, I knew that that was going to happen. And I, I wanted him to understand what God teaches us in his word. You know, you leave your father and mother, and you unite to your wife, and the two of you become one flesh. And I, I wanted him to see what that was like and know what that was like and how important that is. That hey, It doesn't mean we stop loving mom and dad, but it does mean that our wife, our husband, now comes first in our hearts. And I wanted him to teach that. I wanted him to understand that there's a priority between loves. I bring all that up this morning because today, God wants to talk to us, his followers, his sons and daughters. He wants to talk to us about how we love our country best 
when we love our Savior first. Or to put it another way, we serve our country best when we serve our king first. And there's a lot of confusion in this day and age about who comes first. And Jesus wants us to understand that it's only when we love our Savior first, he's our king, it's only when we put him first that we're actually able to serve our country well. I couldn't serve my son well if I didn't show him that his mom came first. And the same idea is what the Lord wants us to grasp. Christians belong first to the kingdom of God, and only afterwards do we belong to our earthly nation. You know, when I was a Marine sent overseas many years ago to serve, they, they brought us together and they, they gave us some stern teaching. They said, hey, when you go to this foreign land that you're going to be assigned to, you're going to represent the United States there. How you talk, how you behave, how you act, uh, your choices, all of them are going to reflect on the country that you belong to. So when you're over there, always keep that in mind. You wear a uniform that represents the country and you want to give a good impression. Well, in the same way, and in an even more significant way, God says to us, hey, you represent my kingdom. You represent my son. He's your king. And so everything you do here must reflect, will reflect on him and must reflect well. Here's how the Apostle Paul put it over in Philippians chapter 3. He wrote this. He said, friends, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he uses the word Lord in that context, he has something very specific in mind. We're going to see that in, a, in just a moment. But when it talks about this idea of loving one thing more so that you can love another thing well, you know, Jesus was, was pretty straight up about this kind of thing. Matthew chapter 10, Brent mentioned a moment ago. Let's listen to the Lord calling us to prioritize among the things we love. And listen to what he says. He says, do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace but a sword. What was he saying? Just like we talked about at the beginning of the series, you know, if you follow me, it's going to bring you into conflict with some of the thinking in the world around you. Uh, this is not a call that will bring you always warm fuzzies. Sometimes it's going to bring you into conflict with the ideas, the culture, the society around you. And Jesus was calling their attention to that. And, and, and in order to make it penetrating, he says this, for I have come to turn a man against his father. He's not saying that's his ultimate agenda. He says it's going to happen if you take me seriously. I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Turning some people against other people is easier than others, right? So some, some of them happen more easily. But he says, a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. It'll come to you in a moment. Just dwell on that. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Boy, that's challenging. And anyone who doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. In other words, he's saying, hey, I, I'm calling you to have a priority among your loves. And, and when he says that, church, you know, we don't like to think about that because we love both. But God says the key to loving our family well is loving him first. He teaches me how to love my family. And the same idea is present when we talk about this idea of citizenship. I love my son best when I love my, his mom first. Well, I mean, it's a 
tried and true proverb, right? If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. So, but it's more than that, right? It's this idea that I serve him best by loving his mother first. Now, the idea here Jesus is not saying is that we don't love our families. This is the same Jesus who said, for example, over in Matthew chapter 15 to the Pharisees, why do you break the command of God for the sake of your tradition? God said, honor your father and mother, but you say that if a man says to his father and mother, whatever help you might have received from me is a gift devoted to God, he's free to not honor his father and mother. Thus you nullify the word of God for the sake of your commandment. Then he went on to say, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship me in vain. Why? Because they're saying that when you choose between loves, you give up one. Jesus says, no. He's saying the key to loving your family well is loving me first. And by the way, I'm the one saying take care of your family, serve your family, bless and sacrifice for your family. You learn how to do that from me. Well, the same dynamic comes into play with our citizenship. It's not about one or the other, but about which comes first for the sake of all. And so Jesus calls us to decide whether king or country comes first in our hearts. Here's how the Apostle Paul wrote pointedly about this in Philippians chapter 3. Listen to what he says. He says, as I have often told you and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. How do they do that? Well, he immediately tells us, their mind is on earthly things. Their thoughts, their heart, their passions are all focused on what's happening on earth. But our citizenship, he says, is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, their mind is on earthly things. Their thoughts are completely captured and only concerned with the results and outcomes of earthly things. Jesus says, but we, we have a bigger perspective. We know that eternity is just a heartbeat away, and we live from that reality into this one. We understand that our citizenship is in heaven. That's a huge and crucial idea to grasp. Jesus is laying this on us because he wants us to serve our country well, and he knows that depends on our serving him first. Notice what Paul writes, or uh, Peter writes over in 1 Peter 3 on the same subject. He says, in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. That's a very specific call that, that doesn't immediately come across in its context in our time. So let me help you explain. In the time of Paul and Peter and Jesus, the area in which the Bible stories happen was under the rule of the Roman Empire, a foreign occupation. And Rome, historically, was unprecedented in its ability to hold together diverse peoples, in order to hold together under one empire, all kinds of tribes, nations, backgrounds, ethnicities, we would say today, cultures. It was able to hold them all together, and, and they had a, a, an unprecedented way of doing that. What Rome did, which no other king had done before, was Rome came in and said, you know what, you can keep your religion. You can keep your local faith. You can keep your local customs. You can continue to do what you're doing. All we're going to ask you to do is to say Caesar is Lord. All we're going to ask you to do is set Caesar down next to whatever God you worship and recognize that they are both Lord. And you know what? That worked like a charm most of the time. It didn't work in a few places. And the one place it didn't work the most was among the early believers because they said, oh, no, Christ is Lord. Jesus is Lord.
Sure, we're willing to serve Caesar, but Jesus comes before him. He is first. And their unwillingness to go along to get along in that way was what resulted in the most awful and terrible persecutions of the early believers. But they were willing to embrace and accept that because they understood the importance of Christ being Lord. The phrase Lord is incredibly significant in this context. This doesn't mean that we don't serve and love our country. I've done it. Many of us have done it. I would counsel people to it. It does mean that we serve her best when we serve our Savior King first. There's, there's a great story about this I love to tell. Uh, George Schultz was one of the most renowned secretaries of state in the 20th century. He served our country in the Reagan administration. And Schultz had a, a, a habit whenever a new ambassador from America would be appointed overseas. They would come under his authority. And so he always wanted to meet every new ambassador personally. And so one-on-one, -on -one, he would invite them to come to his office when they were appointed. And in his office in the corner, he had an enormous globe. Uh, a globe you could spin around, a little over six feet tall. Great, bi biggest globe you've ever seen. And when the ambassador came in, this new ambassador, he would meet him and greet him, and then he would walk him to the globe, and he would say, tell me, where's your country? And of course, the ambassador, eager to prove that he or she knew their geography and knew where they were going and knew the right answer, they'd spin the globe and find their country, whether it was in Africa or Asia or South America or wherever, and they'd point it out, that's my country. And they were stepping into his trap because he would say, no, 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 no. That's the place you're going to serve. And then he would spin the globe back and he'd say, this is your country, and put his finger on the United States. He'd say, you're going there to serve, but this is your country. In the same way, God says to us, remember where your country is. Remember where your loyalty first lies, and then go to serve the country you're in, because only then will you serve her well. Only then will you be able to love her well. Church, this is important because we live in a time when allegiance to our nation is being held up as the greatest of virtues, just like in Rome. It's being held up as the highest of causes. And it's a high cause and a beloved cause and an important cause, but it rests below our salvation. It rests below our belonging to our king. You know, another way to put it is that America needs, in the end, prophets even more than she needs patriots. She needs people who will speak the truth in love, even when it's unpopular. Perhaps our greatest president, Abraham Lincoln, we learned about this a few weeks ago, he stood up and he told half the country they were wrong. And it made them so mad that there was a civil war. Why did he do that? Because he knew that there was a higher authority than the Supreme Court or the Congress or even the Constitution. And that higher authority is the kingdom of heaven. And it's important that we remember that or we can't serve our nation well. Do you realize that it wasn't until 1865, so almost a century after our nation was founded, that we finally said, you know what, it's wrong to keep slaves. It took us almost 100 years to get to that conclusion. And during that time before we got there, voices were saying, hey, we're off track. And those voices were serving our country best. 
It wasn't until 1870 when the 15th Amendment was passed that the right to vote was granted to people who didn't have white skin. Again, it took us a century to recognize that basic and fundamental right. During that time, we needed prophets more than we needed patriots. It wasn't, ladies, until 1919 that the 19th Amendment was added to the Constitution, and we recognized that we had been wrong not to give the vote to women. It's only a little over a century ago. Our country needs prophets more than she needs patriots. They lead us in the right way, and we become that when we put Jesus first in our hearts. You know, this, this very same thing was true of Israel as well. They thought, hey, we're the Jewish nation, we're Israel, we're God's people, and so we're tight with God because we belong to this country. And John the Baptist came along and said, no way, fellas, no way, you're way off track. Listen to how he put it. He said, do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you, out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is at the root of the tree, and every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. In other words, you're not, you don't have a free pass just because you were born here. God will judge Israel just as she judges all the other nations. And it's so important that we grasp that because, again, we cannot love our country well unless we recognize that we belong to King Jesus first. That's why the Apostle Paul writes to the Galatians in chapter 3 describing the church. He says, uh, in this kingdom there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Here all those lesser identities fade into the background. We don't give them up. We don't lose them. They don't cease to matter. But our identity as the people of God as the sons and daughters of God, the disciples of Jesus, that trumps all other identities. It only takes a little learning to discover the mistakes our country has made. And when we were making them, we didn't need patriots in that moment. We need prophets to say, hey, there's a better way. Let's walk in that. To put this differently, we aren't called to wave the flag so much as we're called to wash it so that it waves bright and clean. And that's the calling of the people of God. You know, there's a moment in the Gospels that not many people understand well. And that's the moment when Jesus cleared the money changers from the temple. You will remember that's the only time our Lord ever used physical force in his ministry. But the Bible says he saw what was going on in the temple, and he went home, spent the night, made a whip out of cords. Next morning, went into the temple and drove out the money changers. There's a mistaken idea that the reason he did that was that he didn't want business being transacted in the temple. That's not why he did it. He tells us why he did it, because as he's doing it, he's quoting the prophet Isaiah in a very specific way. We hear him say it in Mark chapter 11, verse 17, but what Jesus is doing in this moment is he's quoting the prophet of Isaiah in chapter 56, and he says, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. Now, here's why he was saying that. First of all, back in Isaiah 56, the Jews were doing the same thing. We're better than everybody else. Our country's better than everybody else. And they had that attitude, and God came and said, no, I didn't call you to be better than everybody else. I called you to serve everybody else. That's the purpose of your nation. That's why I created you. And so Isaiah calls them on the carpet and says, hey, you're meant to be a place of prayer.
prayer for all nations. Well, what the Jews were doing in Jesus' day is there was an outer court in the temple and then an inner court, and the outer court was called the court of the Gentiles. People of every nation could come and worship there, and the Jews were allowing business to be transacted there, but not in the inner court. And there was nothing wrong with the business. They were selling doves, pigeons, and, and lambs to, so the people who had traveled a long ways could buy them and make offerings of worship to God. But they were only allowing that to happen in the court of the Gentiles, essentially saying that one doesn't matter as much as this one. Jesus says, knock it off. Stop it. And he got quite upset about it. Why? Because he knew that what Israel was called to be was a people to bless the nations around him. And in the same way, we are called. Church, let us celebrate our freedoms by remembering what they are for. Freedom isn't an end in itself. It's a chance to do good. Here's how the Bible puts it. Don't use your freedom, Greg, to indulge, indulge the sinful nature. Instead, serve one another in love. Recognize what your freedom is for. And it is that calling that we carry in our time. We love our country, yes, but we love her well because we love our king first, and he teaches us how to serve her. When all is said and done, let us remember what Joshua and the people of God discovered as they entered the promised land. The story is found in Joshua chapter 5. Joshua is leading Israel against the city of Jericho. And they're not sure what they're going to find. They're not sure how big and strong they are. They, they know they're renowned, but they, they're not sure what they're facing. And so they're reconnoitering the area. Joshua brings Israel into that moment. And the scripture says that when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And later on in the passage, we find out that that man had an army behind him. Joshua, seeing this man in front of him, he asks the logical question because he's thinking, are you on their side? Are you on our side? If you're on their side, we're going to have a harder fight than we thought. If you're on our side, we'll have help. And so he says, are you for us or are you for our enemies? And it's exactly the wrong question. As the commander of the Lord of hosts responds, he says, neither. I come as commander of the army of the Lord. In other words, you're asking the wrong question. It's not whether God is on your side or the other side. It's whether you are on his side. He says, hey, I, I didn't come here to choose sides. I came here to take over. And the question is, are you on God's side or the other side? You know, I love how Dr. Tony Evans puts it. He expresses it beautifully. He says, God doesn't ride on the backs of elephants or donkeys. No, instead, he comes bringing a third way. Dr. Evans talks about when he was chaplain for the Dallas Cowboys. How a Christian man could be the chaplain of the Dallas Cowboys, I have no idea. But, but he was, right? There's got to be a prohibition against that somewhere. But anyway, he was. And he said, you know, every time I'd go to the game, it was the same thing. So you have a home team, you have a visiting team, and they're going in opposite directions. And there is no way to reconcile them. One is going this way, one's going that way, and that'll never change. He said, but here's what I observed. Every time there's an NFL game, a third team takes the field. They're on the field, but they're not of the field. They come from another kingdom. And they're carrying a book. It's the rules of the kingdom. And their job is to enforce those rules on both teams. Their job is to bring the word of the higher kingdom to that local moment. And he says, that's what we are called to do as believers. 
to recognize that we have a higher loyalty and to bring it into the world around us. Because after all, the struggle that our nation faces, church, is not about ideologies. It's not about preferences. It's a spiritual and supernatural battle that can only be won by worship and prayer and the preaching of the gospel. No less an authority than our first president, George Washington, said this nation cannot survive unless Christ is the king of every man in his heart. And that's what you and I are called to bring to our country. That's what we're called to be and do in order to serve our country. The battle is spiritual. It's so spiritual that even a six-year bloodbath called the Civil War still didn't solve racism and prejudice. Still fighting that battle. But the Holy Spirit can, because the Holy Spirit says here there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You're all sons of God in Christ Jesus. He gives us a new identity, and that is our calling. So to kind of wrap this up, and then I want to share a story with you, let me give you some simple, last five minutes together, some practical ways to live this out. How do we obey our king in order to bless our country? Here's the first one. Always remember where you come from. Listen again to what Philippians tells us in chapter 3. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the last word. He's the authority. We belong to a kingdom that is coming, and we're here to serve that kingdom to the blessing of this country. Let us remember where we come from. Second, don't ask if God is on your side. Make sure you're on God's side. Listen again. Here there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. You are all one in Christ. Here again, God says, I want my house, my kingdom, to be a place of prayer for all nations. And so we don't say, God, are you on my side? We say, God, help me get on your side. That's what Joshua did. He fell at the, the feet of the commander of the Lord of hosts. He says, tell me how I can be on your side. That's what God calls us to. And then the third thing is beware of worshiping your freedom. Freedom is not meant to be worshiped. It's a tool to serve the gospel. The Bible makes this explicit. Galatians chapter 5, don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Instead, serve one another in love. Paul writes about the same attitude in 1 Corinthians 9 when he says, Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. See, church, we love our freedom. We don't worship it. We celebrate it, but we're ever ready to surrender wherever it will help us make the gospel heard. So we worship our Savior and our King first. Finally, the last one is to lose your fears. You know, much of strife and turmoil that covers our country these days is because so many people are afraid. They're afraid of what might happen. They're afraid of what they're told might happen. They walk around in terror. Jesus says, don't be afraid of those kinds of things. Don't let your fear overwhelm you. Probably my favorite quote outside the Bible, I've shared it before, is what Mark Twain said. He said, I have suffered many things in my life, most of which never happened. And that's how we live very often. Jesus puts it this way. He says, I tell you, my friends, calls us friends. He says, I tell you, my friends, don't be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. 
but I'll show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after the killing of the body has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Why? Because that fear sets us free from the fear of people. That set, fear sets us free from worrying and being afraid and trying to control because we know that God is in charge and God is on the throne. Every soldier will tell you that in that moment of combat, when the temptation to run comes over them, what keeps them from running is a fear of what the other guys will say or the other gals will think. See, one fear conquers another, and Jesus says our fear of God conquers all the others and sets us free to serve. And so he calls us to that. Let me finish with a story this morning, friends. One of my favorite stories. It's a story about a serviceman. It's a story about a Marine. Because after all, Marines are the best of all the services. And so, you know, try to, I'm kidding, you know that. But this man's name is Guy Gabaldon, personal hero of mine. Let me tell you a little bit about Guy. He grew up in the 20s and 30s in East Los Angeles, the, which was then pretty much a ghetto, the poorer part of Los Angeles. And by the age of 12, he found himself homeless on the street due to abuse from alcoholic father and all that goes with it. And so he was running the streets homeless at 12 years old. A family in East Los Angeles saw him, developed a relationship with him and invited him into their home. And he moved in and lived with them throughout his teen years. And the family was a, a Japanese immigrant family living in East Los Angeles. So as a consequence, in that home over those teenage years, he learned some Japanese, he learned about the culture, he learned about the people. And just as he was finishing high school, something dramatic happened. The Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor. And Guy, wanting to serve his country, enlisted in the Marine Corps, and found himself in the Pacific fighting the Japanese. He understood that that was a duty, and he carried it out, but then came the moment for which he's remembered. By the time the Americans got to Saipan in the Western Pacific, the record of Japanese atrocities and unwillingness to surrender and suicide mentality had caused the American military to say, don't try to take prisoners, just kill them. Because they're too dangerous. Because they're our enemies, they're intractable. They would rather kill themselves and each other than surrender. With that attitude prevalent, Guy was part of the troops that landed on a place called Saipan in 1944, an island in the Western Pacific where the Japanese defenders fought fanatically. Guy fought, that was his duty, but he also knew he had a higher duty. And so when he landed on that island and the sun went down on the first night, Guy crawled out of his foxhole into the jungle, into the enemy lines. And using the Japanese that he'd learned as a teenager in that household in East Los Angeles, he was able that night to convince two soldiers to surrender and come back to the American side, something that almost never happened. He convinced them to come where they would be taken care of. They found out that the Americans would help them, would care for them, would feed them, wouldn't eat them, as propaganda said. His commanding officer found out about it. He said, don't you ever do that again. You're endangering people. You're leaving your post. Don't you ever do that again. Guy listened. But then the second night, 
he did the same thing. The sun went down, he climbed into the jungle, and he started looking. The second night, he brought back nine people, a family with two small children, another soldier. He convinced them to surrender and come back with him. Do you know that over the next six weeks, Guy rescued 1,300 Japanese soldiers and civilians, brought them to safety, and became one of the greatest stories of our American military tradition. Why? Because he knew he had a higher duty. So God calls us to recognize that. So we will bless our country. Would you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes. God, we thank you for your word this morning. And we pray that as we go from here, it would be inspired like that, God. To serve, to love. God, to be willing to recognize that when we serve you first, we bless our country most. We pray for that. God, send us from here with that calling burning on our hearts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, friends? Yeah. Yeah. Have to get a bigger building pretty soon here, huh? Yeah. Thank you to everybody so patient with the crowding and to the ushers for helping and moving people. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love them. Have a great afternoon.